This is the GGC Life Podcast. Well, why don't you grab your seats and um, maybe really quickly, is there, uh, there was a lot of freedom that was released in that first part of the first session. Would anyone be brave enough just to share for a minute or so or 30 seconds of what you felt, like what you were going through, just a, a brief description of what you're going through and what you felt after prayer. Do you want to come up and just share with us? Round of applause. So good. So I felt like um, something was stirring when Daniel was talking about deliverance and everything, and I knew that there was something there because I always I felt there was some demonic assignment against me. So when I came up to the front, it was starting to get stronger and stronger, and then I, I had my eyes shut, but I knew when Daniel came and stood in front of me, even before he spoke, because you would have all heard my very unfeminine screams. <laughs> Who cares? Thank you, Jesus. And so... Um, Freedom sounds like something. Amen. Amen. I love it. So then um, afterwards, I actually felt so free. Like, it's so hard to explain. So I, I felt different, and I knew something had left. And then Daniel confirmed it. He said, you know, he felt there was an assignment against me, and that's why that's what he prayed. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Hallelujah. Anyone else just briefly want to quickly share what they were feeling before and then after prayer? Do you want to come up and share? A round of applause. What was your name again? Jeanette. Awesome. Um, so I have been contending for healing, um, but when I came, I felt like I would not pray. I would stand. But then I felt like you need to go. You need to go. So as I went and as Daniel started praying for me, um, because I'm continuing for um, healing it around my um, um, women, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then so I felt the shift in my stomach because I know God spoke to me, say it was done. But I just, and then when he spoke like infirmity go. I felt the shift, so I'm contending. I'll be testifying because I need to go and check it out. Yes, yeah. That's awesome. Let's give him some praise. So sometimes, sometimes like affliction or infirmity, like it, it can affect your physical body. So if the enemy's attacking you, it can affect your physical body. That's why often you read in the Gospels that Jesus um, delivered people of demonic spirits and they were healed of physical ailments. It's not always the case, but quite often it's... Um, demonic torment and uh, an associated effect is physical um, ailments that need healing. So yay Jesus and that's really I believe that um, a part of the role of the apostolic is to demonstrate the supernatural power of God, to bring heaven on earth and then it's not supposed to say oh that's just, we're not supposed to say that's just the role of the apostle of course hopefully, hopefully we all know uh, the apostle helps demonstrate, but then that should inspire all of us to say, I've got the same Christ in me, the same Jesus that, oh, sorry, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit in Smith Wigglesworth, um, in all of our heroes of the faith that we, we all love to study, that same spirit's in us. And God's calling us all to demonstrate the supernatural power of God. There's no special deliverance ministries, we're all called to that. 
There's no special healing ministries. We're all called to that. Some of us will be stronger than, than others in certain areas, but hopefully the people that are strong in a particular area are there to equip everyone to be able to do it well. Does that make sense? One thing I didn't get to was to tell you that since last time, I've finally finished this book called Ignite the Dynamite. Um, a big part of my heart, and I think apostolically um, speaking, a big part of my heart was seeing what was happening in meetings. Like I've done a lot of meetings over the years, and often the majority of the meetings have been like encounter meetings where I've been ministering and being able to serve the wider body of Christ in different capacities have been encounter meetings. So there's been a lot of deliverance, a lot of demonstration, a lot of emphasis on the move of the Holy Spirit, which is great. I love that. and I'm, I'm never going to stop that. But sometimes I would go away from meetings thinking, man, I wish I had like three years because I, I want to be able to get the word into them so that they can not only get delivered, but fortified. Because it's one thing to get delivered, but it's another thing to teach someone how to keep their freedom, how to keep um, their healing, and to be fortified in the Word of God, to know the Word of God, to know their identity, and, uh, and really how to, be, how to get on the front foot and begin to not just experience the deliverance yourself, but then go about freely you've received, now freely given, and deliver other people, right? So my heart was, with God, was like, I would often sort of groan, I'd get back to the hotel, I'm like, man, I need, I need more time, I want to invest more, I want to be able to spend three years somewhere and just pour everything, you know? So then came along crazy COVID lockdowns, and God said, um, well, Paul was locked down at one stage in prison, and he didn't complain. Actually, he produced some of his best work uh, in prison. And a lot of the, the blueprint that we're reading from was birthed out of lockdown. <laughs> so um, I got writing during that time. And, it, and maybe I'm not able to give three years to a particular area now. Um, but I've spent three years putting this together. So I feel like every time I give this away, it's like three years... Um, really, it's 20 years in the making, but three years of writing. And um, so some of the areas that we cover is how to ignite miracle-working power of God in your life, how to build and operate faith to release the explosive power of God, how to be grounded and founded in the Word, how to abide in Christ and avoid the pitfalls along the way, and how to be a witness and see the call of God fulfilled on your life. And we cover some subjects um, such as um, my testimony. I, I, I'm a true believer in, um, in the power of testimony, that we really do defeat the enemy. It's our testimony and our story is a weapon against the enemy. And so I want to encourage all of us to develop your testimony. Everyone's got a testimony. Everyone can testify in here, hopefully, of the power of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the truth of God, and, and its effects. Um, there's a chapter on the empowerment or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole chapter on demons and deliverance, uh, disciple and healing, a chapter called It's for All Believers. So we talk about the fact that the ministry is for all believers, and we're hitting, um, obviously hitting that in this uh, particular conference as well. Uh, I touched on uh, cessationism in this first session, and I've got a whole chapter 
on cessationism where we go through and we pick apart um, scripturally what they believe and why it's wrong and what the Bible actually says on the gifts of the Spirit for today and the fivefold ministry, etc. Um, character before anointing, signs and wonders with the truth. Um, there's a chapter on raising the dead. Uh, and then I've got a, a chapter on, um, from my mentor, Frank Clancy, uh, who's a mighty man of God, um, not necessarily well known, but uh, in the indigenous communities he certainly is. And he's, you know, seen the dead raised and just a powerful man of God and really faithful man of God. Um, dreams and visions, there's a whole chapter on that, and also the power of the gospel. So I've got some of these available um, in the, on the resource table, and basically, hopefully it's a win-win. It's something where you can take it home, and, and it's another way for you to be discipled well after the conference is finished. The idea is I wanted to put testimonies together, but not just stories. Um, I want the stories to inspire you, but also the theology and the teaching to be able to equip you to see it in your own life as well. We don't just want to look at someone else's story and say, well, look what God did there. We want that story to inspire us so that we too can see God move in our family, in our churches, in our businesses. Um, and so the proceeds are going towards um, ongoing gospel campaigns, revival meetings, and developing more teaching um, resources. But I want to give two away. Has anyone not got one? This lady over here? There you go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Awesome. Shall we get into the scriptures? I'm going to pray before this one. Father, thank you for what you're doing. We love you. We're grateful. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here with these amazing people, to share from your word. Open our hearts for us to receive. Let our minds continue to be renewed, that we continue to live out this transformed life. And Father, I thank you that your word is like many waters, that I can be teaching one particular thing, but you can, you can cause it to have many amazing uh, effects, that revelation can be released in different ways, that I might have a particular context that I'm sharing on, but... The principles are relevant in many different settings. So let it be prophetic in nature. Let us grab it. Let us catch it, Father. Let our hearts be open to what you're doing and saying in this next session. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the last session, I started to touch on how do you know if you're an apostle and how do you become one? We talked about discipleship. I started to share a little bit about... Um, you know, in hindsight, looking at the journey that God had me on, I didn't really know that I was called to be an apostle. As I said, been saved 20 years. The first 10 years was really discipling um, into the apostolic. And then the last 10 years, I've been operating uh, in that office, if you like, of, of apostle. Um, so I think it's really important that apostles understand pastors, understand teachers, understand um, prophets, understand evangelists, because really the apostle governing is there to make sure that, for example, if Paul would go into Ephesus, we talked about Ephesus last night, break open the area, um, 
revival would break out. Often the apostle, the pioneer, would suffer all the persecution. And that's why Paul described the apostles as being the scum of the earth. Because they'd be persecuted, they'd be hit hard, they'd have to kick the hornet's nest and go after principalities in the region and take it all on. And then they would help set things up. So they would help govern, set up structures, set up leadership. For example, when you read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, that was a letter to young Timothy, who was now pastoring and overseeing the Ephesus church that Paul broke open. And, um, and so Paul understands the need for teachers, the need for the prophetic. He speaks into all of those things. He even says to Timothy, Timothy, even though that your strength is past the teacher, he said, do the work of an evangelist. So don't forget that aspect. So I believe the apostle is there to sort of help oversee and make sure that we have a balance in the church and in the ministry. And if, if we're out of whack somewhere or out of balance or we need some strengthening in the prophetic, then he'll understand to bring um, the prophetic in. So I think that's an aspect or a part of the fivefold function of apostle. But I want to take you now to the scriptures and just give you a, a case study or an example of this. And, uh, and we'll go to Acts chapter 13. And when you got it, just shout out, got it? Acts chapter 13. And it reads like this, it says, Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Everyone say prophets and teachers. Barnabas, uh, Simeon. I want you to underline Barnabas if you're making notes. So underline prophets and teachers. And then I want you to underline Barnabas. Okay, so Barnabas was considered in the company of Prophets and teachers. Thank you. I was just thinking about that. Thinking I'd love a water. <laughs> In the company of prophets and teachers. Goes on to say, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul who we also know is called Paul. And I'd love you to underline Paul as well, or Saul in that particular case. He's called Saul there. So underline Barnabas and underline Saul. Also underline prophets and teachers. And just think about that as we move forward in the next scripture. It goes on to say, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. What does apostle mean? Sent one. I'm going to show you something about Barnabas and Paul in a moment, but I just want to just take it slow so that you can really get it. There are many different nuances and many different aspects to these particular verses that are really important in understanding how do I know if I'm an apostle and also how do I become an apostle. Um, Leo beautifully brought out Ephesians 4, 11 yesterday. So we know that not everyone is called to be an apostle. Okay, and that's the same principle for all the fivefold ministries. Not everyone's called to be an apostle. I believe that it is a sovereign call. If you're called to a particular 
operational gift in the body of Christ. It's a sovereign call by God. A scriptural example of that, I think a great example is Jeremiah. And God said to Jeremiah, I knew you even before you were formed in your mother's womb. And he went on to say, and I called you to be a prophet to the nations. So even before Jeremiah was formed in his mother's womb, there was a call, there was a purpose, a divine purpose on the life of Jeremiah. And here's the good news for you, that Jeremiah, yes, he's special, but he's no more special than you in the sense that God doesn't have partiality. I believe all of us in here have a divine call and purpose that was in the mind and heart of God even before you were formed in your mother's womb. So there's no use fighting against what you're called to do. Don't fight against your purpose and your call, and it will naturally happen. Honestly, if you just seek God, be discipled, and just organically grow and do the best you can and be faithful, you'll start to see who you are. Just like an apple tree from a seeds planted starts to grow, the shoots come out, and eventually everyone knows that's an apple tree because of the fruit that it bears. So I believe we shouldn't really complicate, how do you know if I'm called to this? Because you'll just see, and the people around you will begin to recognize, as you're faithful, what you're called to. Now in the case of of an apostle, sometimes it's a longer journey because they need to learn all of the different aspects of the fivefold and how things operate because they're called to govern that. And so here we see, before Barnabas and Paul were called and sent and ordained into apostle, they were first found faithful as teachers and prophets. And I think that's a great example for all of us that there could be an office or a, a gift that you're called into, but there's still a process for you to walk in and to grow and to be discipled into it. So you can be called to something, but God might not be able to choose you to step into it unless you yield to the process to get there. Does that make sense? So you can be called to something. There can be a divine destiny in your life, but you miss it. Because you choose not to yield to the process of discipleship and learning to grow into it. Does that make sense? And the danger and the temptation for people is to want to skip the process. Skip the discipleship process. Can you imagine if the apostles, halfway through the three-year journey with Jesus, had said, okay, this is getting a bit too much now, Jesus. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and you're whacked. Can you imagine, so I'm, I'm going to just, I've learned enough now, I'm going to go do my own thing. Can you imagine the damage that self-appointment could have done? And we see that happening in church life today. I'm all for Christ in all of us. I'm all for that revelation because it's important. I'm also all for we need to get outside of the four walls. I'm also for, um, I, don't, I don't just go to church, I am the church. But I'm not all for aborting all of these important Christian principles in terms of discipleship 
and ordination just to say, well, anything goes now. We can just do whatever we want. Call myself to be a prophet. Call myself to be an apostle. But there's no character. There's no ordination. There's been no process. And you know what can happen? People might gather around the gift, but you haven't had the character development. And then the enemy loves that because he just sets you up. He's got a hook in you. And he'll just wait for the opportune time, pull that hook. Not only will your life be destroyed, but all the people that you're leading in that moment get destroyed. That's why the Bible says, lay hands suddenly on no man. Have you heard that scripture before? I'm not going to go there right now because I've got some other things I want to cover, but I just want to touch on it really quickly. Some people have taken that to mean don't pray for anyone too quickly because their sin might get on you or the demons might get on you. That's a wrong interpretation. That's a fearful interpretation. And the enemy would love you to believe that so you don't lay hands on people and pray in faith. It's actually talking about ordination. Don't ordain people too soon because they're not going to be able to handle the weight of that. And when they sin and fall, Timothy, you'll be just as responsible as, they, as them for the sin because you put them in office too soon. And so I think that we need to have a real, in the, the body of Christ, we have to have such a balance with this. We don't want to control people. We've seen like the yuck sort of control of the shepherding movement in the 70s because the Jesus people movement was so wild, the Jesus revolution. And then as an overemphasis or like a pendulum swing response to that, the shepherding movement became very heavy and controlling. So, but we need to, we need to make sure that we're not pendulum Christians, you know, like, and I think that's why the fivefold is so important that, um, and, and that's why the role of the apostles is so important that we're balanced in, in everything and we're bringing everything back to the blueprint of Scripture. Does it, so does that make sense? You with me on that? So think about that, those elements again as we read one more time, and I'm going to point out a few different other nuances of of this ordination and the apostolic, keeping in mind we're asking the question, how do I know if I'm an apostle and how do I become one? So I'm going to read it one more time, verse 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And I asked you to highlight Barnabas and Paul because I wanted to show you that before they were apostles, they were first faithful and learning the role of prophet and teacher. We go to verse 2, and it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. That was the, the leaders that were around Paul and that were around Barnabas. They were fasting and praying together. Now, who decided to put Paul and Barnabas into the role of apostle? Did Paul decide for himself? Did Barnabas decide for himself? Did the leaders decide, oh, we'll just decide, let's just pick those two? No, they were sensitive to God. It was actually the appointment of the Holy Spirit. So leaders need to be close to God, fasting, praying together, and recognizing the call of God to be able to ordain and send and release people into their rightful place. But I guarantee you that they also knew the character and the life of Paul and Barnabas as well. And that they fulfilled that checklist that you read about 
in the epistles of um, the qualifications of a deacon, the qualifications of a bishop. So I guarantee that they would have been found faithful in their character and obviously they watched them operating as prophets and teachers and now God's like, okay, now they're ready for the, the next stage of their call. They were discipled, they learned, and they yielded um, to the Holy Spirit and they were faithful in community. They weren't just, just sort of um, rogue ministers. They were faithful in their community and they were... They, they laid hands on them. The presbytery and the leadership laid hands on them. And there's something about ordination done well and correctly. It's not always possible. Let me just quickly put a little quick disclaimer in. You know, I talked about, I talked about um, Martin Luther. I believe that the fruit of his life was apostolic. He, they might not, he might not have called himself that, but you can see the fruit of his life is apostolic. But he didn't have anyone laying hands on him. And he was forced to have to go and um, protest against the movement of the day. But that should be a rare case, not the norm. In a healthy church environment, the norm should be this. Not Martin Luther's example, but this. Acts chapter 13, where you're faithful in your community. People know you. You're transparent. They've been growing and watching you. And they're like all right, we've been fasting and praying. It's clear that the ministry of the apostolics on their life, they've been faithful. We need to lay hands on them and release them into the next level of their call. Let's go to, if you don't believe me that they are indeed apostles, I want to take you to Acts chapter 14, verse 14. You definitely know Paul is, because he calls himself that in the epistles, but it's quite interesting that Barnabas is named in Acts 14, 14, an apostle. And this blows away the cessationists as well because they believe there's only 12. And by the way, I believe that the 12, I would term them the apostles of the Lamb. I term them the apostles of the Lamb. They're the founding apostles. And the apostles of today, which I term the ascension ministry apostles, and I get that from Ephesians 4.11, as he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men. They're not replacing the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They have a different level of authority in a way where they're not going to be writing Scripture. Um, but many of the elements that you read about, they're going to be needing to operate in, if that makes sense. So ascension ministry, apostles, and then you've got apostles of the Lamb, which were the 12. So we know Barnabas was not one of the 12, but here clearly the perfect canon 66 books, the scriptures, make it really clear that there's more than 12. And this is a great example, and you can read about um, Romans 16 is another great example of a whole bunch of ministers that are listed uh, as apostles as well. But this is a really clear one. Acts 14, 14. But when the apostles, everyone say apostles. Barnabas and Paul heard this. They tore their clothes and ran in amongst the multitude crying out. So they are listed now as apostles, Barnabas and Paul. In the previous chapter, they were listed as teachers and prophets, but then you see the ordination take place, the laying on of hands. Who ordained them? Ultimately, it was God, because they heard the Holy Spirit, now separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work, the new work that I have for them. Laid hands, which represents ordination, and then they were released, then they were sent, and then we have the epistles now, and Paul, and then we have, he goes into Ephesus, and revival breaks out, they take on that stadium there, and 
And then he begins to put leadership in place. He's a young Timothy pastor. And so you can see the apostolic framework and the blueprint, I think, really well in that example. Does that sound all right? I want to now um, give you a few other practical things and just talk a little bit about some of my experiences to finish. And then I want to pray for some people for an impartation for revival. I'm really believe right now that there is something in the atmosphere um, globally and uh, instinctively many of us know that it's so ripe right now. God is wanting to bust open in our midst and break out in such a powerful way. And so I want to pray for some people that are really hungry for God to do some wild things. Um, But before we do that, I just want to just lay out five aspects in terms of the role of an apostle. Does that sound all right? So if you're making notes, and I know this is um, a conference and a school for many of us, so I just want to take my time and really try and give you some quality content that you can take back and study out in your own time and lean into and pray into. Does that sound all right? And then we'll pray. So number one, strengthening and expanding the church, the role of an apostle, strengthening and expanding the church. Apostles play a crucial role in planting, building, and nurturing churches, all of those things, as spiritual entrepreneurs, in a sense. They have God-given ability to identify new territories and opportunities for the expansion of God's kingdom. The church can greatly benefit from guidance of the apostles who can foster its growth and establish a strong foundation in the faith. So an apostle's role is to strengthen and to help the church expand, taking new territory, a pioneering grace, a pioneering spirit. Um, And I believe that there are different um, types of apostles too. And you can have apostles that might have multiple gifts where they're an apostle, but they're strong in teaching, or they're an apostle, but they're strong in the prophetic. Or, so you can, have, you can also have local apostles too, where they might be, uh, their strength is more in a particular area, or you might have an apostle that um, has um, an apostolic uh, governance grace over a region, or over perhaps over a city, or over a nation, or you might have, uh, there might be like a global grace on apostles. So we can't necessarily put... Um, the apostolic into a box. It can look different because we're all different, amen? But there will be some key um, features within the job description of an apostle. Number two, equipping and empowering believers. Apostles are gifted in teaching, training, and mentoring others to walk in their spiritual gifts and calling. They can empower believers by providing practical tools, spiritual wisdom, and biblical insight that help them develop a deeper relationship with God and become effective ministers in their own right. And Leo hit that so well um, last night, Ephesians 4.11. Ultimately, it's to equip the saints. We all are called to the ministry. Why don't you say to the person next to you, you are called to the ministry. It's really important. You might not necessarily be involved full-time in the church. You might not draw your paycheck 
from the church. You might be called to be a doctor. You might, your occupation could be in as a teacher, as a business entrepreneur, but ultimately you are called to be a minister. And I would even say a missionary within that area of influence that God's called you to. So you might say, well, how do, if I'm not called, if only some are called to be apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists, what am I going to do? You're a minister. You're a revivalist. The fivefold are really the coaches. I love football. I grew up playing football in Melbourne. And uh, I love it. And I often use the analogy of a football game. And particularly in today's football, like on the professional level, coaches play such an important role. And they have coaches for all different areas now. You have the ruck coaches, the on-ball coaches, the back coaches, the forward coaches. And they zone in and they focus on that particular area with those players that have skills in that area. But if you think about it, the coaches aren't the ones that take the field though, are they? There's only a small percentage of the football club of coaches. And if you think about that in terms of a dynamic for the church and the blueprint, the coaches don't run out onto the field and win the game. Mind you, if you don't have good coaches and good strategy, then the players are going to be rabble. So it's important, but if you think about it, their role is in the lead up to it, the halftime address. So right now, you can consider this the halftime address. But you are the one that goes out onto the field that gets the job done. Amen? And God's not calling anyone to be spectators. In the, Christ, in the football, you'll have spectators, you'll have critics. It'll sit way back in the nosebleeds of the stadium. And they'll tell the umpire what they should be doing. And they'll be saying, you should have kicked it. Why didn't you handball? Why didn't you do this? But none of them have ever played. That reminds me a little bit, and if you're a pastor, you'll exactly know what I mean, but it reminds me a little bit of church life sometimes. Hello? The critics in the back seats. But in Christianity, God's calling us to get on the field. If you're not a coach, get on the field and let's get the job done. Let's not criticize one another. Let's unify. Let's find out the blueprint for our local area. What's the game plan? And let's defeat the enemy. Amen. Let's not fight each other. Let's defeat the enemy. If you're with me on that, shout out. Amen. Unity and collaboration, apostles are natural bridge builders, working to bring together diverse groups of believers and fostering unity within the body of Christ. Not an easy job, but that's an aspect of what often you'll find an apostle doing. They can help establish networks of churches and ministries that collaborate and support one another, creating a more effective and cohesive force for spreading the gospel. And Leah, and that's why I just I honor you for doing this very thing is your heart to bring people together to see the city working together we are the church yes we have local expressions and different um, sometimes different secondary doc doctrines but we're one church and apostles help us remember that and bring us back together 
Number four, supernatural manifestations. Um, apostles are good at bringing heaven on earth and demonstrating that and then teaching others to do the same thing. It should be a normal part of an apostolic ministry is to operate in signs and wonders and miracles as a testimony to the power and presence of God. And often that'll be a part of the, um, uh, the validation of that apostolic call. And number five, governing and, and strategic leadership. Apostles are equipped with wisdom, discernment, and spiritual authority to provide strategic leadership in the church. They can help navigate challenging situations and offer guidance on critical decisions, ensuring that the church remains aligned with God's will and purpose, because we can all get distracted sometimes, can't we? This governing role is essential for maintaining the health, stability, and growth of the church in an ever-changing world, particularly right now in the West. I think our churches need to be on guard and ready for spiritual attack and persecution, even in the way of legislation, legalities, trying to shut us down, trying to silence us. And so we need apostolic leaders and the wisdom and the gift to be able to help navigate our communities through all this without fear, but with wisdom. I'm going to finish with this just to bring you into something that we're working through at the moment. It's a good problem to have, but I'm just trying to get the wisdom. And this is a new area for me. I'm so I'm gleaning and learning from others. But uh, in March... We had a Sunday service, it was early in March, we had a Sunday service on, on our, in our Sunshine Coast Church. And it was a great service. Uh, in fact, it was really powerful, really, really powerful service. And I really felt strong just to say, and I don't do this every time, but I really felt to say, listen, um, you know, practically, parents, if you can sign out your children, you know, we have children's ministry on a Sunday service. And, but I want to encourage people, if you're hungry, if you're feeling this too, why don't you come back, bring your family, bring your kids back, and we're just going to, and I put the band on the spot, we're just going to worship a little longer. I don't feel to stop what's happening. In fact, I hardly got to any of the teaching because it was just such a beautiful presence, and there was a real hunger, a tangible hunger um, in the meeting. And so we did that, and I wouldn't say to my surprise, but I was very encouraged that majority of the church at very short notice stayed. And we continued to worship and praise and there was hunger and the altar, the altar was full of people kneeling. And uh, all of a sudden there was, uh, there was pockets of people that were like crying and repenting. And it wasn't something that we were trying to force. It was just this organic thing that was happening. And so it just kept rolling on. And it got to about 1.30 in the morning. It was a long church service. <laughs> we normally go from 10 to 12. 1.30 in the morning. And uh, I said to Chelsea, we, we should probably go home and get some sleep. We've got our young kids that were with us. So we left at 1.30 in the morning. And the live stream was still going. And when we got home, there was such a grace on this that I I'm like, when I got home, I felt a bit grieved. I'm like, man, I, I want to be there because they kept going. And so I got home and um, first thing I did was get the phone out and just see if they were still going on the live stream because we were live streaming it. And, you know, some, I don't know about you guys, especially if you're musicians, sometimes like the live stream doesn't sound very good. And I don't, I don't often like watching live streams, especially the music. It's hard to get a good sound, you know. 
and I'm a little bit funny like that, you know? So normally I don't watch live streams, but I put it on and the sound wasn't amazing, but I could feel something so special. So Chelsea and I were just laying there at 1.30 in the morning. We couldn't sleep, just worshiping God. Just like, man, I want to get back there. Anyway, we finally fell asleep. The first thing I did when I woke up in the morning was check the live stream again. Well, there's no way they would have kept going, but it was still going. Like, not a full room, but like 20 or 30 people just kept that flame burning, burning, burning. And then people saw it online and people were coming in at all different hours of the morning. So we just, it was Monday, normally our day off. We're like, let's go. So the kids got, we're doing distance education now. So it's kind of cool. We can just take the kids with us. And um, they brought their computers along and we got straight back in again. And that was day two. And then it just kept going and going. And anyway, it ended up being about, 62 hours, I think we counted, of nonstop worship and praise. And we're like, God, what do we do now? And this is where that sort of apostolic, the governing where it's like, man, we we don't want to stop this. But how can we make sure that there's river banks to keep it flowing and make sure that it's done well and that there's um, good leadership that's helping facilitate it so it doesn't get weird and out of whack like at four in the morning, got all these weird stuff going on. And that did happen, actually. (laughs) Uh, So, yes, it was fun, though. It was awesome. Um, It's amazing who comes out at four in the morning. (laughs) Uh, But they were hungry. They were hungry. So, what do we do? And so we started to sort of got together the, the leadership team and it's like, let's, let's just keep going. So we decided to put the word out that we're going to have at 6.30 at night, we're going to have an encounter night, but we're going to keep that constant worship and prayer happening. Um, and then after about 60 hours, we felt like some of the team, because we're a fairly new church on the Sunshine Coast, we felt the team was starting to get a little bit uh, tired. So we wanted to make sure that people weren't burning out. So we thought, let's move to 12 to 12. Instead of all night, we'll do 12 to 12, give people a rest. So we moved to that phase. And then um, and we had uh, just nightly revival meetings. Now, the cool thing was people started to come in for those night meetings. And then we had people just consistently burning with prayer and intercession and worship. And then um, we started to see a lot of deliverance. That was one thing that marked this particular um, outpouring, this little outpouring that we experienced during the month, the month of March on the Sunshine Coast. A lot of deliverance and healing. And then people started coming in from other places around the country, in Melbourne, Perth, lots of people, because Queensland's a large territory, a large state, so people coming in, driving long distances and getting there for the 6.30 meetings. Then the meetings would go through till midnight and then people would be back there again at 12 o'clock. So I started to talk to our team and it's like, we don't want to, this is, a, this is certainly something that's very special um, and we need to um, steward this, but we need to make sure it's governed well. And uh, so we did that and we ended up having, during the month of March, we ended up having 17 extra revival nights during the month of, uh, the month of um, March and there were literally thousands of extra people that came through during that time in March, which was awesome. But I felt to pull it back, 
even though a lot of people didn't want to, I felt we needed to pull it back and reset. So some people could criticize that and say, you're, you're stopping the move of God. But an apostle will look at something and in the, they want, they're looking at the long term, not just the short term. And believe you me, I, my whole life has been about this. So I really believe we're going to go after it again. But we felt, and then we brought in like prophetic voices and we felt like March was going to be like a window in to say this is what's possible. But we're not ready for it. It was almost like a fitness test. Our team's not ready for it yet. A fitness test. And so April, it's about sort of laying that foundation and just preparing. And we feel like we're going to strike the ground and go for it again in May. And sort of, and we'd be ready this time with uh, teams and a roster of that 12 to 12 worship. And people, are, we've, we've seen what's possible, but now we're going to be ready to be able to steward and manage when we strike the ground again for May. So there's a little bit of insight into something fresh and new that's happening right now. And then a big part of my heart too was like saying, man, we're seeing so much emphasis on the move of the Holy Spirit, but we have to make sure we don't abandon our small groups and Bible studies and home groups. And that, all of like, and that we're having prayer meetings and we're teaching people on the prophetic and making sure that it's not just, it doesn't get too wacky and weird. It's got to be a solid move of God where people are being saved discipled but at the same time we're not shutting down the move of the spirit as well so there's that tension isn't it and that's why you need the fivefold ministry um and smith wigglesworth said that in this end time move of god there's going to be you'll see one one of the um the signs that we're coming into that time is that it won't just be about the move of the spirit but also the word it's when the spirit and the word come together there's an old saying all spirit, and you'll blow up. All word, and you'll dry up. But if you have word and spirit, you'll grow up. And so that's what we want. We want to make sure that what we're doing is, is mature. I want to ask everyone to stand to their feet. And I actually feel to pray for some people, still buzzing in terms of what's happened in March and what we've experienced and the outpouring. And, and there's pockets of things happening all over the world. Obviously, Asprey, many of us have been... Um, uh, looking at what's been happening there and other universities and uh, a friend of mine, Ben, in Germany, um, around the same time, he said, bro, I just got out of a meeting that was meant to be two hours and it went for 15 hours and so there's a lot of hunger, there's a stirring and, and God, his eyes are going to and fro throughout the earth looking for hearts that are perfect towards him, looking for hungry, hungry people to say, God, use me in this hour. I don't just want to be a commentator for something that's happening at a distance, like a prophetic commentator. I want to be involved in bringing heaven on earth in our region, in our city, in our church. And so I just want to invite maybe a musician to come up or the band to come up. And, uh, and then I just want to invite anyone that's really hungry. I wouldn't be surprised if it's everyone, but really hungry. And I just want to lay hands on as many people as I can to finish and just release an impartation for revival fire. Revival fire, there'll be such a stirring in your heart, and I want to encourage you to catch that revival fire and that it would spark something in you, it would ignite something in you, and that you would take that back like wildfire. The thing about revival fire, it's wildfire. It can't be contained. It can't be contained. 
Jesus. Thanks for listening to the GGC Life podcast. We hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed.